Hello, and welcome to the Dynasty Baseball Pickups Podcast. I'm Kyle Sontag, and I would like to start by apologizing for the fact that there was no episode last weekend. There were plans to record, but we all got busier than we anticipated, and unfortunately, this episode had to be put off until this weekend. With that being said, it is American Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to those of you celebrating. As a Canadian, I'm free this weekend, so I'll be flying solo once again on this episode. For this episode, we are going to discuss some potential Rookie of the Year candidates for 2024, with many of the MLB's 2023 awards having been handed out, including Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll being named unanimous Rookie of the Year winners, this seemed like a fitting episode, again, last weekend, but this weekend as well. Uh, One last thing before I start discussing players, I guess two things, actually. Um, I'm definitely going to go over some of the more obvious names, but I'm also going to throw out one or two dark horse names. Uh, that I think could be sneaky Rookie of the Year options. All that being said, I'm definitely not going to get to all of the contenders. So if there's a name you think is obvious that I miss, go ahead and let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, X, uh, however you want to get a hold of us, Discord even, if you guys are in the uh, Fantasy Baseball Discord that we take part in. Let us know if you think there's anybody that we missed. Lastly, um, throughout the podcast, I will be referring to players' tools and their grades on those tools. And for this episode, I will be using MLB Pipeline's tool grades to do so. Normally, I'm not a huge fan of MLB Pipeline for fantasy purposes because they are a real-life driven system. But since I'm talking about the real-life award of Rookie of the Year, this seems to be a more appropriate time to use Pipeline's system uh, because we're not really discussing fantasy value as much. I definitely will mention that once or twice throughout the episode, but it's not the main focus today. So, Without further ado, let's get into it. And starting in the American League, the most logical place maybe to begin is at the top of many prospect lists with Jackson Holiday, shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. After being drafted first overall out of high school in 2022, Holiday rose up the ranks from low A all the way to triple A in 2023, just his first full professional season. So while it may seem lofty to call a player who will only be turning 20 this December a Rookie of the Year contender, Jackson Holiday is clearly no regular 20-year-old. And spoiler alert, he won't be the only one I mentioned in this episode. Um, so across those four levels of the minors that Holiday played this past season, he slashed 323, 442, 499 with 12 home runs, 24 steals, 101 walks, and 118 strikeouts in 125 games played. 
He also had 75 RBI and 113 runs scored. Now, those walk and strikeout numbers showed that not only does he have excellent bat-to-ball skills, but also an approach well beyond his years, as they equate to around just a 20% strikeout rate with a very impressive 17% walk rate. And again, that's impressive for a player really of any any age at any level, but especially when we're talking about a player who was 19 years old throughout the entirety of this season. Now, Pipeline does have his hit tool well ahead of the rest of his tools as a 70 grade, but that's not to say he's bad at anything, as he does receive at least above average grades in every facet of the game with 60 grade speed and grades of 55 on his power, fielding, and arm, making him a very well-rounded player with many different ways to succeed at the big league level. While I'm not expecting a ton of counting stats from Holiday, at least not in his rookie season, I don't think it's unrealistic to believe he might reach roughly the same number of home runs and steals as he did in the minors this past season. Those numbers, again, being 12 home runs and 24 stolen bases. And if he can hit in the range of, you know, 275 with an OBP around 350, uh, he can prove to be, uh, again, a very strong rookie of the year contender. And, you know, all that being said, if he can prove to be the same type of hitter in the majors as he has been in the minors, he could quickly see himself batting at the top of the order for what has become a very potent Baltimore Orioles lineup, meaning that there will be plenty of opportunity for him to score a ton of runs, just like, again, he did in the minors this past season. Now, as is the case with almost any rookie, especially those on a strong contending team like Baltimore, there are avenues in which I can see Holiday slipping out of rookie of the year contention. And by and large, those avenues are, in my opinion, playing time based. You know, if Holiday comes out and kind of stinks it up in spring training or even if he cracks the opening day roster but really struggles early in the season Baltimore isn't in a position right now to be overly patient given how many other young infielders they have and how competitive they are at this point and if that ends up being the case Holiday would likely spend more time back in AAA than in the big leagues this season, and that obviously wouldn't do him any favors for his Rookie of the Year argument. Now, all that being said, Jackson Holiday really hasn't shown much reason to believe that will be the case, so I think he's going to make a very strong push to win the 2024 Rookie of the Year award in the American League. Sticking the AL East, we move over to the Tampa Bay Rays and Junior Caminero. We saw Caminero get a taste of the big leagues at the end of the year. And while he did struggle a bit, Taylor and I discussed in a recent episode that he did still show glimpses of his immense talent. And we believe, given more time to adapt to the pitching at the highest level, he will put up some very strong numbers. He played just seven games in the bigs in 2023. And while his slash line of 235, 278, 353, isn't particularly impressive. He did put up some solid exit velocities, including a 112 max EV 
and even flashed better speed than expected with a top sprint speed of 28.6 feet per second, which would have been good for 83rd percentile in the entire league. Caminero spent most of his season in the minors, split between high A and double A. So it's worth noting that he did jump straight from double A to the big leagues. That being said, between high A and double A, 81 of his 117 minor league games played last year came in double A. And during that time, he hit 324 with a 384 OBP and 591 slugging percentage. He hammered 31 home runs while chipping in a handful of steals and driving in 94 while scoring 85 times himself. Caminero, like Holiday, received strong grades across the board from MLB Pipeline with 60 grades on his hit and power, 50 on his arm and fielding, and a 45 grade on his run. Though, as I mentioned before, given the 83rd percentile sprint speed I referenced, his speed may be better than that grade implies, though he's not an overly aggressive runner, so perhaps it's that fact that brings the grade down a little bit. As is evident both in their respective grades and stats, there is a strong chance that Caminero will hit for more power than Holiday at the sacrifice of some average and on-base percentage. Now, that's not necessarily to say one will have a better shot at Rookie of the Year than the other, but if one is you know, better or worse in one of those facets of the game than was to be expected, it could drastically swing voters in one direction. Now, just like Holiday, Caminero plays on a team with lofty expectations. So if he struggles in spring training or the early months of the season, he too could see himself back in the minors for at least part of 2024. But it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Caminero's line at the end of the year look something like a 255, 325, 489 slash with 28 home runs and maybe 10 steals to go along with 82 RBI and 100 runs. For those of you wondering why I chose such specific numbers, that was the exact line that just made Gunnar Henderson the unanimous American League Rookie of the Year for 2023. Now, I do think there could be some stiffer competition in 2024, but it's not out of the question to think Caminero could put up a very similar season in 2024 and put himself strongly in contention for the 2024 American League Rookie of the Year award. We move now from the East to the West with the first of a pair of teammates in Texas, and that's outfielder Evan Carter. Carter is a player fresh on our minds as we saw more of him this past season with 23 games in the MLB, as well as <clears throat> sticking with the Rangers through their playoff run and their World Series championship. Um, and he really made the most of his opportunity, slashing 306, 413, 645, with five home runs and three steals in that time. He then carried over that hot start to his career into the playoffs, where he slashed 300, 417, 500, 
with one home run and three steals in 17 games en route to becoming a World Series champion. On top of all those offensive numbers, Evan Carter also displayed his strong defense that will likely keep him in the lineup for years to come. The one major knock on Evan Carter to this point is his splits against left-handed pitchers. In the minors this year, Carter hit 243 against left-handed pitching. Important to note, Carter is a left-handed batter, so same-handed pitching, left-handed pitching, compared to 293 versus right-handed pitching. And he did hit all 12 of his home runs in the minors this year off of righties. And this split is a trend that showed itself in a couple different ways when Carter got to the big leagues. The Rangers were obviously aware of the splits because Evan Carter was often left out of the lineup when facing a tough lefty. And he amassed just 11 total plate appearances versus left-handed pitching in the bigs. He walked just once while recording no hits. So this will be something to keep an eye on in 2024 because as I mentioned, his defense is likely good enough to keep him on the field more often than not going forward. So while the Rangers did a great job limiting his at-bats versus same-handed pitching in his debut and setting him up for success, he will likely get more opportunity against left-handed pitching going forward, and how he performs in those at-bats will be worth monitoring. The other thing that could jump out as a bit of a red flag for some people from his MLB debut is the 32% strikeout rate. However, I'm not overly concerned by that number because it was nearly a full 10 points higher than his previous career worst mark of 22.3%. And for a guy with a 60 grade hit tool and an excellent play approach, uh, you may have heard some announcers jesting at the fact that his nickname among his minor league buddies was full count. He has an excellent plate approach and I just don't see the K rate remaining that high. He did also show that excellent eye at the plate and a willingness to draw walks with a 16% walk rate. So he's going to continue getting on base and giving himself plenty of opportunity to show off his 60 grades. If Evan Carter can hit enough versus same-handed pitching to keep his slash line looking solid, he's going to be another strong contender for the 2024 American League Rookie of the Year award. Moving on now to Evan Carter's teammate, Wyatt Langford, is one of the more intriguing Rookie of the Year candidates because he was just drafted in 2023 as the fourth overall pick. Langford is another player who receives impressive grades across the board with a 60-grade hit tool, 65-grade power, 55-grade run, and a 50-grade on both his fielding and arm. All of those tools were on display in his brief professional debut as he played at least a handful of games in rookie, high A, double A, and triple A, slashing 360, 480, 677, with 10 home runs and 12 steals while walking twice more than he struck out in 44 games across the four levels. There don't appear to be many weak points in Langford's game to this point, but his biggest barrier may have nothing to do with himself, 
Does he need to find a way into playing time in an outfield that's already pretty loaded with Adolis Garcia, Evan Carter, and Leody Tavares? It wouldn't surprise me much if down the line Tavares is the odd man out, whether that means a trade or you know the the weaker side of a platoon, something along those lines. But as of right now, the clearest path to playing time for Wyatt Langford may be a four-man outfield with one of them kind of rotating into the designated hitter spot on a regular basis. This becomes a little bit easier as Mitch Garver is currently a free agent, but if he re-signs with Texas, it could really complicate things, especially given that all of Garcia, Carter, and Tavares are excellent defenders in the outfield. Now, in the past, we likely wouldn't be talking about Langford until late 2024 or even 2025, since he was just drafted. But Langford is a special player, and the league as a whole is changing with regards to how they handle prospects. With young players being brought up to the bigs faster than ever, thanks to new rules recently put in place by the MLB to incentivize teams calling up their prospects. Langford is one of the most advanced, well-rounded hitters we've seen drafted out of college in recent years, and he clearly showed in the minors that he can handle professional pitching. So while he might be a bit more of a long shot to make the opening day roster than others, don't be surprised if he sees more than enough time on the big league roster to make a compelling case for the AL Rookie of the Year. Moving to the National League now, I'll start with yet another player who we saw get his cup of coffee late in the year, and that's Jordan Lawler of the Arizona Diamondbacks. While his brief debut may have left some with a sour taste in their mouth, I don't think it was a meaningful enough sample to draw many, if any, conclusions. He saw just 34 plate appearances in 14 games hit 129 with no extra base hits and only a handful of walks and struck out north of 30% of the time. But none of those numbers are anywhere near what he showed at any and every stop in the minor leagues. He receives 55 grades for his hit, power, arm, and fielding, while his speed stands out a little bit more with a 60 grade. Taylor mentioned in our draft of struggling rookies a couple episodes ago and those grades show it the power speed potential here is enormous and he could very easily put up a 2020 season in 2024 prior to his call up to the mlb lawler was putting up a very impressive season with a 278 378 496 slash while hitting 20 home runs and stealing 36 bases in 105 games And that's not even mentioning the fact that he was dealing with an injury early in the season and had a pretty dreadful April and May before really turning it on in June and staying hot throughout the rest of the minor league season. So, you know, give Lawler more than 34 plate appearances in the majors to adjust, and I think he's going to be a very dangerous hit. Now, much like many of the AL contenders I mentioned, Lawler does come with concerns regarding playing time if he doesn't perform well in spring or the early months of the season. Much like Holiday in Baltimore, 
Camonero in Tampa or Carter and Langford in Texas. Arizona is a team who will be expecting to compete once again. And as a surprise World Series runner-up in 2023, their goals will only be higher for 2024. So if Lawler isn't performing well early on, he could also see a demotion back to AAA to figure things out. But if he is performing up to his expectations, he will be firmly in the National League Rookie of the Year discussion at the end of the season. Now, to the only prospect in the game who I personally have higher than Jackson Holiday, Jackson Churio in Milwaukee also has a strong shot at the National League Rookie of the Year award. Even though he, like Holiday, won't turn 20 until a little bit later than Holiday, actually. He doesn't turn 20 until March of next year. Churio likely has the highest long-term ceiling of anyone I'll mention in this episode, thanks in large part to his immense power speed upside. As a 19-year-old, Churio spent most of 2023 in AA, where he put up a very strong 280, 336, 467 slash. Along with 22 home runs, 43 stolen bases, 89 RBI, 84 runs, and another 26 total extra base hits over 122 games. He only spent six games in AAA to close out the year and didn't hit any home runs in that time, but he did slash an impressive 333, 375, 476 in that time with one stolen base and three doubles. Even though he performed well in AAA, the fact that it was such a brief sample makes me wonder if the Brewers might want to start him off back in AAA to begin 2024, especially when you consider that they already have all of Christian Yelich, Garrett Mitchell, Sal Frelick, and Joey Weimer, who could be in the bigs to start the year in a crowded outfield. But I wouldn't consider it out of the question that Churio performs so well in spring that he forces Milwaukee's hand and plays his way onto the opening day roster, or at the very least, finds his way onto the big league club by mid-May. Now, when you combine Churio's 60-grade power and 70-grade speed with his 55-grade hit tool and 60-grade defense in center field, I believe that whenever Churio gets the call, he will be up to stay, and he will put himself in the Rookie of the Year conversation through his solid offense and defensive contributions. Next up is another player along the same lines as Wyatt Langford, and that's because he was also taken in the first round of the 2023 MLB draft. That's Dylan Cruz, who was taken second overall by the Washington Nationals. Cruz is another batter who is widely considered one of the most advanced bats coming out of the draft in recent years. And that's backed up by the 70 grade he receives on his hit tool, as well as the 60 grade he gets for his power. Cruz isn't just a top bat, though, as he also has a 60 grade run tool and 55 grade fielding and arm. He also put up a strong debut campaign with a 292, 377, 467 slash, 
five home runs and four stolen bases in 35 games between rookie, low A, and double A ball. However, unlike Langford, Cruz did struggle a bit when he got to double A. In his 20 games at the level, his slash line dropped to 208, 318, 278 with no home runs and just five total extra base hits. That being said, he did keep his K rate in check and still walked almost 10% of the time. And I believe he's too advanced of a hitter to struggle like that in double A again in 2024. That being said, it is quite unlikely that Washington, sorry, it's quite likely that Washington uses the poor performance at double A as an excuse to start him back at the level in 2024 and delay his call up to the bigs. Unlike the teams of many of the other players I've discussed so far, the Nationals aren't likely going to be playing for a whole lot and don't have much of a reason to call up their prize prospect on opening day unless he really tears the cover off the ball in spring training. On the flip side, Washington is not likely to be a playoff contender. And that could also be seen as a good thing, since it means Cruz would have more room to struggle and adjust at the big league level without being considered a detriment to their chances in the playoff race. Similarly to Langford, we may not see Dylan Cruz on the opening day roster, but I do believe he will spend enough time in the bigs this season to make a case for himself as the 2024 National League Rookie of the Year. The last of the 2023 draftees I want to discuss is also the first pitcher I'm going to discuss, and that's Paul Skeens, who was drafted first overall by the Pittsburgh Pirates. And this is an even more extreme example of a guy who we wouldn't be talking about in the past. But again, he is a special player. And the fact that, you know, not only was he just drafted, but he's also a pitcher, which is a position we traditionally see teams exercise more caution with, due in part to their increased injury risk relative relative to hitters, makes this... Again, even a little bit of a, a deeper uh, discussion that we normally wouldn't have in past years. But as I said, Skeens is special. And even for a pitcher, his injury risk seems relatively low. Now, again, he's still a pitcher. There's still a ton of injury risk always with these young pitchers. But... He did throw an impressive 122 and two-thirds innings for LSU while helping lead them to a national championship. Pittsburgh then surprised everyone by having him make his professional debut in the same season he was drafted, albeit throwing just six and two-thirds innings, which to me makes it such a small sample that it's not even worth discussing the numbers, really. In college, Skeens racked up 209 strikeouts to lead NCAA Division I baseball, while also leading the league with a 0.75 whip and ranking, ranking second in the level in ERA at 169 and batter's average against at 165. 
Skeens is considered one of the most MLB-ready pitchers to come out of the draft since the likes of Steven Strasburg. And it's easy to see why. With an 80-grade fastball that sits in the upper 90s and touched 102 in college, he pairs that with a mid-to-upper 80s 70-grade slider with a sharp break that elicits a ton of swinging strikes and a changeup that grades as average currently but could improve in the pros as it was a weapon he rarely needed to use in college pair those weapons with his strong control he walked just 20 batters in his 122 and two-thirds college innings and it's easy to see why the pirates might want him in the big league sooner rather than later that being said the pirates similarly to the nationals don't have much reason to rush their prized prospect as they are also a team that likely won't be competing for a whole lot in 2024. But Skeens might just be too good to keep in the minors. And given Pittsburgh's questionable track record with developing pitching, they may may want to just get as much out of him as they can in the bigs in 2024 And the earlier we see him on the Pittsburgh Pirates, the stronger his case is going to be for the Rookie of the Year award. Now, going back to the American League briefly, I wanted to sneak in a quick dark horse nod to Colt Keith of the Detroit Tigers. Coming into 2023, Keith's biggest question was durability as he had played just 113 games combined in his first two pro seasons. But in 2023, he played 126 and put up his best numbers yet. Splitting time between AA and AAA, he slashed 306, 380, 552, with 27 home runs, 101 RBI, and 88 runs scored, while keeping his K rate down around 20% and his walk rate at around 10%. Now, Detroit's Comerica Park ranks dead last in the league for home runs and is 25th overall by Park Factor, according to Baseball Savant. But with a 55-grade hit tool and 60-grade power, Keith could still have the ability to hit 25-plus home runs, even while playing half his game in such a tough home park. While he has improved his defense, That does remain a bit of a question mark in his profile. Now, he's spent time at both second base and third base, but his lack of foot speed and strong throwing arm project much better at the hot corner than they do up the middle of the field. That being said, the questions of playing time that loom over the heads of other Rookie of the Year contenders aren't nearly as much of an issue for Colt Keith because the Tigers don't really have a true third baseman on their roster at the moment. And guys like Tyler Nevin and Andy Abanez don't stand to create much of a barrier. So if Keith comes out swinging well in spring training, it might be a much easier task for him to win an opening day job than some others. And with the Tigers unlikely to be competing for much in 2024, he's going to have more leeway to struggle and adjust at the big league level rather than being sent back down to work out the kinks where it won't hurt a playoff hunt. So if Keith, especially if Keith, can make the opening day roster in Detroit, I think he's going to be a great dark horse pick 
for American League Rookie of the Year. On the National League side of things, there aren't many clear underdogs, in my opinion. But one name I do like, and we've discussed briefly in some recent episodes, is Robbie Snelling, the left-handed pitcher for the San Diego Padres. Now, this is another guy who's very young and is going to have some trouble cracking that opening day roster. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he doesn't crack the opening day roster. He may not even see enough time in the big leagues to qualify for this award. But if he does, don't ignore Robbie Snelling. He might be a sneaky pick in the National League. Now, the last player I'm going to discuss in depth is Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I left him until the end here purely because we have no idea where he's going to sign at this point. But when he does, he will be firmly planted in the Rookie of the Year conversation for whichever league he ends up in and could likely be the immediate favorite. Yamamoto is not your typical international signing, because even though he's already been pitching professionally for seven years in Japan, he is just 24 years old, which is quite a bit younger than most Japanese or Korean players when they come over. In those seven seasons, Yamamoto has a career ERA of 182, with a whip of 935 go along with more than nine strikeouts per nine innings and just over two walks per nine. In 2023, he threw 164 innings with 169 strikeouts and just 28 walks with an ERA of 1.21 and a whip of 0.884. For reference, Kodai Sanga, who just finished second in National League Rookie of the Year voting, pitched to a 1.94 ERA and 1.056 whip in his final season in Japan before moving to the side. While Sanga's ghost fork is a big part of what gave Hitter so much trouble in his debut season, Yamamoto's overall arsenal may be even more impressive. He sports a five-pitch mix, including a fastball, splitter, cutter, curveball, and slider. The fastball typically sits in the mid-90s, has touched as high as 99, and is far and away his most used pitch, followed by a devastating splitter that sits around 90 miles an hour. That fastball-splitter combo has made up roughly 70% of his pitch usage in the past, but this could very well change when he pitches in the big leagues. His curveball is a big breaker with a unique release point that fools hitters and gives them fits, while his slider is a tighter, sharper breaking ball with more velo and less movement, and the cutter being even further on that regard, as they often are when comparing them to a slider. Um, he does a good job mixing those pitches in and keeping hitters off guard. And if Kodai Senga's rookie season is any indication, Yamamoto could set the league on fire in his rookie year. Don't be surprised, though, to see him struggle just a little bit in the early goings, as Senga did, as he may need some time to get used to the differences in both the balls and the mounds in North America. 
it's important to note that the baseballs used in Japan are slightly smaller and stickier than those used in the MLB. And while the mounds in Japan are the same size and distance as MLB mounds, they do use softer dirt, which allows pitchers to dig in more easily. So as was the case for Kote Aisenga, it may take Yoshinobu Yamamoto a couple months to get used to those differences. But by the end of the season, you shouldn't be surprised to see his name as one of the Rookie of the Year finalists. Now, I would also be remiss to not mention a couple of other likely international signings who, albeit, will have less of a shot at the Rookie of the Year award in whichever league they end up signing. But nevertheless, Shota Imanaga and Jung-Hoo Lee will likely be coming over from Japan and Korea, respectively, and are still interesting players worth noting. Imanaga is a left-handed pitcher known more for his finesse and control than his pure stuff, but has still put up some very impressive numbers in recent years, while Lee is a center fielder with strong bat-to-ball skills and good speed, but his lack of power may limit his Rookie of the Year chances. But that's all I've got for you today. Please rate and review the podcast, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. The accounts will be posted in the description of the episode. And like I mentioned off the top, if you think I missed anyone that needed to be talked about, let us know, and maybe we'll get them into a future episode. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week.